0: Two, one, action.
1: What song is this? It's our theme song. I like it. Random. <laughs> it's a free license theme song. That's what that is.
0: It's pretty cool. I was digging it. I was like, I really, is, I was, is this the Willow soundtrack? I, I was into it.
1: Right, I was going for adventure theme, but, but free license.
2: <laughs> Not having to pay anything for it. Oh, yes.
1: Not the Merlin theme is, is the important part of that.
2: <laughs> so,
1: hello and welcome to For the Love of Merlin. I'm Sonia and with me is my co-host Mila. Hi, Mila. Hello. And with us is our guest, Owen Mackin. Hi, Owen. Hello.
0: Hello, Sonia. Hello, Mila. How are you guys doing?
2: Good.
1: We're good. Welcome. Thank you. I can't imagine anyone would not know that this is the actor who plays Gwayne, but uh, if you're not listening to our podcast usually and you're just weirdly stumbled into this, welcome to Owen Mackin, who plays Gwayne on Merlin
0: and And if that is the case, then you should have you should go back and rewatch all of Merlin, right
2: There you go,
1: which you know, segues perfectly into the title of this episode is The One with Owen Mackin. Because Mila loves friends. And if you don't get that reference, it's... I'm sorry for you. 2021. As far as spoilers go, everyone should know, our faithful listeners, that we're recording this after we've recorded all the other Merlin episodes. So this is going to be spoiler zone. Uh, Mila is all caught up. She knows everything that happens in Merlin. Don't get worried about her getting spoiled. Because we all know how Mila feels about spoilers, so
2: I, I hate spoilers so much, so much. I get very upset. And Sonia is a psycho. I look up everything. I want to be spoiled to no end. I don't
1: want to have any surprises. So, Owen, how do you feel about spoilers? I
0: mean, I, I, I'm with I'm with Sonia. Why would you want to know all the spoilers? You know, that's not that-
2: no. You're with me. Sonia wants to know the end of the season before it, she's...
0: Yeah, no, sorry. I, I got confusing. Why would you want to know? Like, that's the entire reason why Game of Thrones existed, because you just wanted to know what was going to happen, not because it was any good. But you're like, what's going to happen next? You
1: know? Oh, my God. You're like... <laughs> You're my favorite guest. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who comes
2: on here. We bash Game of Thrones in this podcast a lot. Oh,
0: no. Oh, Oh, this is a good thing that we started off on a a positive feeling. Excellent. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. Also HBO. I think you're
1: great. HBO is great. We love you. And it's just, I don't get it. I don't get the fixation with Game of Thrones. It's Merlin did it all before. We've talked about this on the podcast.
2: Oh, you actually have. Oh, wow. Okay. We've mentioned this a lot.
1: Well, it's just that everyone talks about Game of Thrones like they invented dragons and incest and fantasy. And I'm just like, yeah, well.
0: Did, did you guys ever read uh, any of David Gemmell, the fantasy writer? No. No? No, because I, I mean, yeah, like the, the the Game of Thrones stuff, I mean, look, all, all the Tolkien and Lord of the Rings and all that stuff existed way before that. But there was this great uh, author that I used to read an awful lot called David Gemmell. And you're reading Game of Thrones, you're like, and it's almost uh, it's all, it's almost identical to what David Gemmell used to write in terms of everything when they go into the deserts and I think they're called an, with an N in 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 David Gamble's world. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'm, to, I'm totally with you. It was it was kind of just uh,
2: good. Yeah,
0: we
1: just
2: we appreciate you saying that. It validates our whole podcast for us.
1: This is it. This is the episode. We're done. Uh,
2: excellent. We're done.
1: Thank okay. you for <laughs> that. Was Bye.
0: enough. Nice talking to you guys.
1: If only we can get Owen to validate that everyone has to go watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail then then we'd be set
0: i just i just assume that that's like part of of any adult um, who has a child that's part of the responsibility
2: or should be should be part yeah yeah
0: yeah just any might monty python in general you know along with the Princess bride yes willow that type there's like a whole list of things and if, if you if you have if you know any friends who have children and they haven't shown that or actually meet anybody and they've never seen any of those movies i always kind of question their integrity as a person <laughs>
1: <laughs> and their understanding of fantasy, like how do you really understand what you're watching,
0: or just the world, right?
1: <laughs> or just the world.
0: Yeah, like if you, even if you've not seen The Princess Bride and you, you haven't, you, you're not obsessed with Inigo Montoya, then like you know, what's well, why do you exist?
2: <laughs> what are you doing on earth? <laughs> exactly.
1: exactly. People don't even realize the millions of references they miss when they don't watch that stuff. Like everything is referential. It just, it can't help that.
0: Like if you go into a coffee shop and you're like, you killed my father, prepared to die, and then they don't get it, you're like, oh, this is going to be, uh, do I want to buy coffee here? Uh,
2: then, this is going to be the first and last time that I get my coffee here.
0: Yeah, I'm about to be arrested and I barred, but also it's okay because I don't want to come back to this coffee shop because they don't get it.
1: They don't get it. I feel like Alice Troughton talked about that in a commentary about how important Princess Bride is to her. And I was like, yes, I understand you as a director. I saw it. I mean, you could see it as a director. just." how the episode was so similar in the sword fighting. It was the episode uh, where Uther dies. Mm-hmm. She was talking about how it influenced the fight scene. And I was like, yeah, you can see it. That's, a, that's one of the best sword fights ever uh, is Princess Bride.
0: That's cool. I, Alice, that, that, that makes sense for Alice, Alice to adore Princess Bride. I, Alice, Alice knew everything in terms of her references and so forth. And she was a, she was a whole bunch of fun. So that makes sense. That's, that's very cool that she referenced the Princess Bride.
1: Yeah, she also referenced Errol Flynn. It, she seems like her, her bank of knowledge is pretty awesome, you know? Yeah. You'd hope for a director.
0: Yeah. I, 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 I would bow down to Alice Troughton's bank of knowledge any, any day of the week, you know, 100%.
1: I get that. So I feel like you like watching stuff because I don't know if someone is prolific as, in making TV and movies like you. And writing, and you're a novelist, and all the things you do, because you do everything. You actually watch TV. Do you actually get to watch stuff?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I do. I have no friends. I just watch TV. Um, and anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean, that's like one of the most enjoyable things is, is 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 watching movies. I mean, when the when all the cinemas were closed for the last twelve months, that was devastating. I was like, what What do I do now? Yeah. Also, I just love uh, I love being in a cinema and just and just seeing movies and just watching so But I, I didn't really grow up re- watching movies and TV's TV series. I grew up reading books, so I guess it's kind of become a natural extension of that, just because TV's there's been so many more literary adaptations in the last decade or so than there used to be. I think so many. Yeah.
2: Is there a book that you've read that you would like to adapt into a movie? Another one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there is. But then I'm like, if I say that aloud, well, then someone else buy it? And I'm like,
2: oh, then don't say it.
0: You know, that you find a book does it happen once or twice? I found this cool book in an airport, and I was like, I have to adapt this book. And then, and then I did bring it to, uh, to some, to my lit agents who I work with, and we spent ages and found out that that someone else had already got the rights to it but we could get the rights for but, it but it's always like you find this random obscure book you're like no one will have seen this but it's in an airport of course some fucking else is there but you know
1: you wish you wish so- there's a small airport it's a
0: small airport
1: <laughs> you can always hope if it's a tiny airport yes yeah. so does that mean have you managed to watch all of Merlin have you i mean i know people have feelings about watching things they work on so
0: you know funny enough actually i have watched merlin but i'm partly not funny enough, but I mean, because you are right. Sometimes you don't know what stuff you worked on, but, um, but Merlin, I actually rewatched some of it, um, last year, a couple of episodes, um, because a couple of people I knew wanted to watch it, and I was like, all right, I'll watch some of this again, and and I would almost find Merlin more fun to watch now than I found it at the time. Because it seems a little bit timeless in terms of there's just this kind of bubble of fun about Merlin Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist in a lot of shows at the moment, I think. I think everything's become really serious or very self-aware. And Merlin was just like, this is just super fun.
1: Uh, I love that you say that because I constantly talk about how I miss the 90s sensibility of movie making because everything's Mm. too much now. It's like too gritty, too realistic. And I'm like, give me a world to escape into. I don't necessarily want everything to mimic life. As I feel it. Yes. Yeah. No, it's true.
2: Life is already hard enough. It's like, we just want to escape for like one hour at a time and then come back.
1: Exactly.
0: And you you don't want them to be real in this escapist world. You want it to kind of like be real, but also like, this is just total nonsense. I love it.
1: Yeah. I mean, my favorite, everyone who listens to this knows that my favorite part of Merlin's was the comedy. Yeah. It cracks me up so much.
0: I think they did that really well. There was a really interesting balance that they brought into that. With with the comedy, whereby they never really pushed I me. Mean, I think I think Bradley was really good at that. Bradley has a has a very deadpan uh delivery for delivering comedy, and I think that was really important as like a balance. And I, and I and I think that's why the show worked because it was that balance of comedy between between Bradley and Colin that just kind of lightened everything up all the time, you know. Yeah. Um, which I think is sometimes underestimated in terms of the importance of having having. Two leads on a show that that kind of really balanced the show around, and I think mean, that's their dynamic. And their dynamic was funny because it was it was ridiculous. They were like a little old married couple. It was <laughs> hilarious.
1: They were, but that's what I <laughs> loved about. It was a tough call for you to come in and play off of that relationship, which everyone's attached to their dynamic. But you, when Gwynne used to come into the mix, the writing was even funnier because it kind of played against their relationship Mm. your character was always this catalyst of like picking at it and always being on merlin's side and always putting down arthur because your character wasn't his servant so you kind of were like okay you shut up
0: right yeah 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 i mean we had a lot of fun playing to that i remember that specifically um i think it was episode eight which was the second one i came into um because i initially came into merlin just to do one episode and i and i flew over to do I just moved to LA at the time, and then what? What are you laughing at?
2: <laughs> no, it's like that's we have a list of questions, and that was one of them. Did you come in to do only one episode? I was like, there it is. You already said it.
0: Okay, sorry, I'll I'll, I'll stop I'll stop talking. Okay, ask the question.
2: No, no my
1: God, go no, it's even better.
0: No, ask ask the question, and then I'll, then I'll continue talking.
1: <laughs> no, that was even better. So you came in for one episode.
0: <laughs> you just asked me? Did I come in for just one episode? Yes, yes, you are, you are correct. Man, I did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we got too excited. No, yeah, the the second episode was the quest that you went on, right?
0: Yeah, but but the the point was, I think the, I remember specifically there was there was a scene where um Arthur had to put his his hand through a thing in the wall, and mm. Gwen had to call him a princess, and and it's funny because you know with certain actors you you have an awful lot of fun playing with each other, where like you know a lot of it becomes about that sort of that dynamic of trusting each other, and also sometimes a bit of antagonism was good. And so me and Bradley, I think, kind of annoyed the hell out of each other initially those first couple of episodes. So initially that episode, I was really annoying him on purpose and he was getting really frustrated. And me and Bradley became dear friends and, and, and we're very close. But at that episode, I remember specifically, I was just like, I'm just going to annoy him because the way this balance is. And sometimes you end up playing into what your character is naturally into real life a little bit. So they kind of gave an awful lot of that. They fed into that a bit with Gwen and Arthur. And, and I really enjoyed that. You know, because also I was just, I was just kind of coming in to have fun. I was like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to wreck your head here. Have a bit of fun.
1: That's the best way to do it. And I did wonder, like, is as fun to play as it seems? Yeah. Well, because it seems like a lot of fun.
0: It was super fun. It was, it was like, just be as weird as you want. And just like, just like do, it's like, you know, I was, I was just, I was just kind of doing, doing what I, doing what I felt like doing. And, and they kind of let me do that. And it was great, you know?
1: That's i love amazing. that even though that scene was super upsetting because uh i recall a lot of roaches and mila and i do not like roaches so much
2: i mean there's always an episode in the movie there's like insects or spiders like of course there's a spider in the fantasy you know <laughs> and i'm like oh my god no
0: it's just like indiana jones with the snakes yeah there's always something yeah
2: yes it's so classic it was I would have
1: been fine with spiders. It was the roaches that grossed me out. I mean, I mean, I'm, I think they were. Were they not CGI roaches? Maybe. You tell us, because we talk about this at length in these podcast episodes. Like,
2: do I mean, you think they were real?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. We didn't have real roaches. No, no, no. They were like oh, CGI wonderful. and stuff, as far as I'm aware.
2: Okay, good. Makes me feel better. Well, no,
0: I might have blacked out, so I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe. <laughs>
2: It was okay. I'm sure for
1: the, the shot, the close-up shot of the hand going in, it wasn't you guys on set sticking your hand into a wall, so you don't have to worry about the bugs. No, 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 that was it. That was us. Was it? Yeah, That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, you know.
0: I mean, Bradley did all, yeah, we did all our own. I mean, we had some cool stunt guys and stuff and and staying with the sword fighting, but the vast majority of any of the stunts we did, um, unless it was like falling off a horse and stuff, we, we did or any of that type of stuff.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you famously, you know, had a wall give out on you and fell off a wall. We've all seen that one.
0: That I forgot about that. Thank you for that. That did happen. Yes. Yes.
1: For us, it's very fresh. The, all this stuff is very fresh. It is.
0: <laughs> I haven't seen that clip in a while. That is true. I'm, now I'm having a flashback of that. I remember falling off the wall and yet everything worked out okay.
1: We're that so day. glad. <laughs> and then you got to do the stunt. They were like, don't do the stunt. <laughs>
0: I remember. I God, I do remember that. And then they still let me do the stunt, which is really, really, you know, shameful on their part. They're like, "Oh, he's falling off the wall once; it surely won't happen again." <laughs> As a result, so, I mean, I'm I'm naturally very clumsy, though. I think I fell on Merlin about a numerous times. Yeah,
1: from the outtakes, it seems like a lot of people fell a lot of the time because you're running through the woods constantly.
2: We're running through the woods a lot. There's a lot of running.
1: A lot of
0: running. We're always wearing these giant massive cloaks. There's like swords everywhere and stuff. And you're wearing these boots. Were, they, they gave us these boots that are incredibly slippy, which, which, because they look cool, but they were, they were not practical.
1: Yeah, I understand. We've talked about this as well, because Mila and I both kind of have a fantasy about being knights. So what's worse, wearing chainmail or wearing a cape? Uh,
0: Probably the cape, because it, the chainmail, the chainmail is heavy and it's really cold and it's cold, like it was really heavy. But and, and also, yeah, the chainmail just made you want to curl up and go to sleep, to be fair. And then the, the, the flip side of that is the cloak meant you could just fall asleep in the cloak. So it was kind of, you know, you got you to mitigate. But, there you go. Yeah, it's kind of tough. But the problem is in the cloak, you'd end up like turning and walking into this fucking cloak all the time. And I just don't understand how anyone in real life ever had a cloak and didn't die. Because, you know, you just run around them in a circle and they're going to get caught in the cloak. And then, like, you know, you, you, you stab them, I would assume. So Sorry, this is in the middle That's of a
2: frustrating. It's like The Incredibles. No capes.
0: I, I don't. <laughs> No <laughs> capes. Yes, I no capes. No capes.
2: Which is
1: important for superheroes, but it makes me sad because I know I wish I could wear capes. I, I hate modern clothing sometimes because I'm like, that was so much cooler. But yeah, frustrating. You frustrating. can wear
0: a cape. I think it's called like a jacket as well, right? I mean...
1: I have a couple dresses that seem like capes, and I've had a couple people step on them while walking on really? stairs. And I'm like, okay, I see why this is a problem. So I'm just well,
0: could you not just get a cape that just like stops at your ankles? Would that not make sense?
1: Sure, sure.
0: But then but, but then it's not really a cape.
1: But does it look as cool?
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I look. I guess you look. No, no one's trying to stab you when you're out wearing your cape in real life, so it's okay.
1: I mean, I don't have to sword that's fight. True. I just have to walk around, so that's much easier. <laughs> I don't, I don't have to get.
0: But only in a straight line. You, you don't even have to like change direction and turn around like in a turning circle. It's very limited, right? The, your range of motion is kind of like you know.
2: only go straight.
0: Only straight, yeah.
1: Only straight. So I have to ask this because we've belabored this point. Do you have a favorite character on Merlin since you watched it?
0: I mean, apart from Gwen, obviously. Uh... I think I think Sir Leon was always my favorite favorite character. I mean, that's also partly because I adore Rupert, and he's just mm-hmm. like you know the nicest. When when I saw that Rupert got got cast in Bridgerton, I was like, that's so perfect.
1: Yeah, I was excited, we were happy too. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was just like, you're the most perfect Bridgerton character. Like they basically like just designed the Bridgerton character and went, oh, it's Rupert Young.
2: In our podcast. We call him bad news, Leon, because every time he walks into your room, he's always saying something bad that's happening. He walks in and he's like, uh, Sire, everything's ruined. <laughs> sire,
1: everyone's dead. That's it. Thanks, Leon.
0: Yeah, he, he, he's like, <laughs> Camelot is burning. Here, there's a dragon here. There's a, there's a war. By the way, someone's gone missing. You're like, oh, my God. And yet, the, but the irony is that he's actually the, he's the funniest individual you meet in your entire life. He, he, Rupert's hilarious. Like, absolutely hilarious. And then when he had to suddenly come in and deliver all this dour news, it was always actually even more funny for us. Because <laughs> it was
1: like- oh, my gosh. I've, yeah, I can imagine you guys laughed a lot. I've heard a lot about the scenes you guys couldn't make it through. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that one of them must have been your famous cheese that tastes like apple pie line.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say when you said scenes you could make, it through, you meant whole episodes, but scenes, yeah. Yeah, that that one, that one was a trap. I think what, that was not seeing We're all smelling each other's shoes or something like that. And there's nothing silly.
1: There was one where they smell your shoes. I remember that.
0: Yeah, but that was half the banter of Merlin because that's why it was like you know, the knights and 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 Merlin and Arthur were just sort of messed around in the forest with horses and capes. So,
1: I mean, smelling <laughs>
0: smelling your shoes is the next is the next practical next step.
1: It sounds about like the best job in the world to me. I mean, I love riding horses, so I'm obsessed with, you know, all the things that you guys got to do because, you know, who doesn't want to learn how to sword fight and ride horses and run around?
0: Honestly, it it really was. And I think also in like in hindsight, it, it's even become more special. Just uh, But like anything, I think, though, you know, riding horses and, and sword fighting and being in forests and like in by the way, Wales is cold. I love Wales, but it's it's cold. But it was it was super fun because it became very special because of who we were working with because it was a really nice group and not just the actors but also like the crew. It was like the nicest group of people. It really was, and and all the, it was just a, it was just a very family atmosphere, and I, I think that comes across because everyone was genuinely having a nice time, and everyone like wanted to make something interesting. Everyone liked it.
1: Yeah, that does come across, and I think that makes people like Mila and I, who love being on set, love the industry, love production, and all we want to know ever is that the set was a good place to work and that people did enjoy it instead of having to fake to enjoy it on screen which is such a different thing yeah um because it does it does kind of change the mood of watching it sometimes if you get into this stuff and you learn about the behind the scenes it's nice to know that you guys enjoyed it as much as the fans enjoy it
0: i think it does right because you kind of you know you also have to remember that you know we were. Unless you are making a really serious documentary that 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 has a that has a very specific purpose that that is an important message you are trying to make, the rest of the time you are making television or or films, which you also want to be entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. And, and but even if you are making something that that is 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 a, is a serious movie or TV series, you also want you know you want it to be a nice environment and people want to have a nice time because that's a, that's what everything should be, especially creatively. But I think yeah. especially with a show like Merlin, it's yeah, that whole the whole f- part of fun of watching that show is knowing that everyone involved was actually having a nice time making that show and cared about. It. I think that's comes across. Everyone still cares about Merlin, even like, what is it? 45 years later? Maybe. I mean,
1: it's 10 <laughs> years later and you're on a Merlin podcast.
0: Is it 10 years later? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, don't tell me that. God, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm say like four, four years later.
1: <laughs> it's only, we're all 25. That's what yes. I'm saying. Is that's, yes. that's, that's what the decision is here. Congratulations. us. <laughs> I love it. But it is, it does speak a lot to why the fans stuck with it. I think it has a lot of heart and it comes through how much you guys loved making it. And people do love it. I mean, when I started making this podcast and we picked Merlin as the show and I got into the fandom, I was like, oh God, like I might get people upset at me. Like they might not like what I have to say because they, it's so dear to everybody.
2: Oh, people message us being like, you're wrong.
1: (laughs) You could be wrong. You know? Yeah.
2: Yeah, we are wrong. I could. It's for everyone to interpret on their own.
1: But
0: isn't that great, though? That's like like the most fun.
2: Merlin has
1: like the sweetest fans, though, because when we're wrong, they're like, I just wanted you to know that this is the real answer. And they just send me all the info they have. And there's just so much heart and passion behind the fans because there was so much heart and passion behind the show.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean I mean that that that's kind of awesome when you can when you can be discussing something and people can tell you you're wrong or disagree with you because it creates a nice dialogue because it'd be no fun if you're just right all the time.
2: Right, exactly.
0: You know? And and then you don't get that's half the fun of family. We are not right. <laughs> Welcome to my world.
1: I'm always like, I don't know. Am I wrong? Uh, did that happen? Did I notice that thing in this show? Or is it, like someone tell me? Well, that's half of the reason I have Mila watch stuff that I watch. Mm. I always just want someone to connect with about like the choices that were made on the show, whether it's acting or props or everything.
2: And we already talk every day. So we might as well just talk and do something productive with it.
0: It's <laughs> a good excuse just to hang out and have a chat. It's <laughs> smart.
1: It, it really is. And then this was born and... I can't tell you how different it is, though, to watch a TV show for a podcast. You get into the minutia oh, of the weirdest please. things, like so, you.
0: So you end up you end up watching it to specifically try and analyze it after. So did you do that? You watched every episode and then analyze it after that.
1: I have a notebook full of notes. I have pay I have like hundred pages, pages
2: like notes of every minute of the episodes.
0: Can we see this notebook? I mean, I mean, don't pretend like you don't have it right there
2: my notebook is not here no
0: oh that's a great notebook fuck you batman I'm batman merlin
1: and a lot of merlin stickers that i ended up buying because i felt weird about it not having merlin stickers so there's the notebook amazing and it's just like hundreds and hundreds of pages of merlin oh notes. wow yeah with post-its because there's not enough room in the notebook of course standard. it's crazy But then you start to watch it from this standpoint and it gets weird because you start to pick up on things that you never noticed while you were watching like a normal person. So we ended up making a bingo board of Merlin so you could watch Merlin and play bingo because we started to notice things that were in every episode. Really? By the season. So there's there's a bingo board for every season. But the one thing that doesn't leave the bingo board, first of all, is the main square, which is magic and fire. There is a fire stunt in almost every. Did you ever notice mm. how many fire stunts are in this show when you were on set?
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like we just walked around carrying fire torches all the time, and and every <laughs> every like every set there was fire torches in the walls, all the time.
1: And every magic was fire.
0: Yeah, but but you have to remember they had no electricity, so like you know, well,
2: they did have a full moon. Every single night in Camelot is a full moon that is as bright as the that's sun, <laughs> so you don't need electricity. Really, that's a
0: very good point.
2: Well,
1: I mean, it's day for night, but besides the torches, almost every piece of magic was like lighted on fire.
0: That is a good point.
2: Like some of
1: some of those made me nervous. All the fires, they were stressful. Some of them, for for like, if you're yes. looking at it from a production standpoint, of that is extremely close to the actors. There was one episode where we talked at length about whether the fire was above you when you were escaping from that warlord this was the mm-hmm. the third episode i think you did
0: yeah right ralph, ralph ralph and asin yeah
1: we just like we're like is that a that looks like a real fire over the cast just like hanging over everybody
0: yeah there definitely was all the time all the time i mean yeah i mean there's a lot of times where we're like you're like you could kind of smell and like i think it's was burning <laughs> And you're like and it was usually Tom cuz he was like standing next to some firebrand. But no, yeah, we right, we did all these I remember we we shot in these caves. I think was season 5 we shot in the caves a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And, and with
2: Mila's yeah, favorite yeah. character and, the CGI
1: uh, DMR.
2: <laughs> have you watched that? Look. Of course. Come on.
0: She was great. She's a wonderful actress. I mean, I mean the questionable CGI choices. Yes. Yeah.
2: There you go. I want to I want to talk to that person who made the choices for the CGI. Uh, yeah,
0: I know. I mean, yeah, they, they 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 were having they were having a weekend, right? But <laughs> but yet yeah, you remember her. You remember her. Like yeah, there's a lot of CGI characters you kind of don't remember her. Is very she stands out in your brain forever cuz she's seared yes. <laughs> seared into your retina
1: forever. I love her performance. I just, yeah, I didn't know there were aliens in Camelot. That's cool. Aliens. I'm, I've am i decided it's an alien. That's it's fine.
0: That's what I had to decide. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the conclusion the podcast came to. Yep. Although now that you're here, everything you say is canon because you know better than us. Oh, I mean, I
0: don't know about that, but I mean, uh, <laughs> but, but no, back to the fire thing. Um, We were in those tunnels in Wales. There was just torches and fires everywhere. And we're all carrying torches and fires and you did. It's interesting because sometimes you're on shows, as you know, and everything's very specific with, with insurance and so forth. And I think the everything's become a bit more, what's the word, a bit more militant and careful in the last decade or five years or so. Totally, I do think we are afforded a certain level of like freedom and responsibility to do stuff where we're all carrying these these, these bloody torches. And like running around the place and running past stunt man and that one had, and had a sword and a torch at the same time or something like that. And you just had to trust each other to like not set your colleagues on fire, you know. So that was always like a win by the end of the day. So
1: I mean, I'm glad you liked each other because that then at least the trust is just there. You're like, well, I like this person, so he probably won't set me on fire.
2: Yeah. At the end of the day, you just get a start. Didn't set my friend on fire. Go <laughs> home.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And if you didn't like someone, you're like, will I just ruin their haircut? I just. Slowly <laughs> it's
2: like, just burn the, their eyebrows, like no eyebrows the next day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I did think about that.
1: I was mostly concerned for people like Katie who had a lot of hairspray in their hair. Like, you guys probably were safer than she was.
0: That's true. You know, that's true. Poor Katie would have just...
1: I've heard her talk about that.
0: Yeah. 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 She would have been like Joan of Arc in like two seconds.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> It's terrifying.
1: <laughs> well, we can't talk to you about Merlin without talking about uh the ending of Merlin. You tell me as the foremost authority on Gwen. Is Gwen dead at the end of Merlin?
0: I mean, I didn't know that Merlin ended. I just thought it was on hiatus, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. I don't know.
2: That's another thing.
0: I don't know why you're trying to ruin my life here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't get everyone's hopes up Everyone wants a season 6 And if you say that
0: uh,
2: It's a problem
0: Well no I mean I mean I, I'd, love, I'd love a season 6 I mean we've been We've been trying to do I mean I got I almost got in trouble A little while ago I think this time last year I, I mentioned I should just never mention anything In real life Until it's like You know Set But I, mean, I mentioned that We were trying to, to do something And then a month later People like Started chastising me For like Why isn't this happening And I was like Oh my god but there is a thing that I, I would like for us to be able to do to continue on all that story. Whether or not we'd be able to do it or not is, is another is another thing. But I've been trying to because I think that uh, there's still so much scope at that show and those characters. So, But to answer your question directly instead of waffling for 10 minutes, um, no, I don't think Wayne was dead. No. I mean, like, who, who, di- who dies from a snake these days? <gasps> yeah?
1: Okay. A, I win. B, no funeral. <laughs> No funeral, no death. That's how fantasy works. No funeral, no death.
2: That's what Sonia told me. I was like, I think he died. And she's like, no, 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 he didn't.
0: You're totally right. No funeral, no death. That, 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 is, that is basically the law in fantasy stuff. Of course, in every fantasy show ever, unless you see a body, then then they're not dead, you know?
1: Especially in a show that burns corpses.
0: They come back through a lake. You're like, well, I mean, that one. Is, well, come
1: man. on. I mean, Merlin was still around. He can't help. Yeah. Can't help him after the whole sadness of Arthur going bye-bye. Come on.
0: He was a bit lazy, though, Merlin, with like the use of his magic. You know? He was a bit choosy.
1: We often talked about how he was the worst healer. He just, like, always was lazy. I was like, guys can do it. I'm just like, hey, why do you suck at this? <laughs> Ever. He was like, yeah, you know
0: what I mean? Yeah, he really is. You're kind of going, Merlin, you should just become, like, this big magician, like, a long time ago and wore a big cloak. You know?
1: The hat, the cloak, we needed it all. Yeah.
0: Ah, that's all he needed. He just needed a cloak. That was it. There you go. There
1: you go. <laughs> yeah. One of the sticking points that we've had is always, like, we have episodes where we watched and we thought, Should- shouldn't Merlin tell Gawain that he has magic? Like, why did that never happen? Do you think that was a weird choice?
0: Well, there was a moment, I think, when Gwen said goodbye to Merlin near the end of season five, and I think he went off into the caves searching for something right mm-hmm. and and the inference was that kind of that like gwayne kind of knew i think i think they gwayne was going to find out about about the magic at one stage and then they sort of backtracked on it and i think that was what i thought was going to happen as well and they were kind of left to decide did he and it just it kind of became a bit because then all the knights came in i think it would have changed the dynamic and so forth so decided then that that he, he didn't know um Mm. but I, I, we sort of played that last scene at the end that kind of Gawain knew something because he was always very trusting with Merlin, you know? Yeah. And he kind of like, he, he knew that Merlin was able to, he knew that something was up because Gawain understood what magic was. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I can see that because... Even more than Merlin and Arthur obviously didn't have trust on some things. I think the paragon of trust in the Merlin universe is the relationship between Merlin and Gwen. There's no trust like that in this show. It's implicit. No matter what you say, I'll believe you because you're you and we're friends and that's it. So I think that's such a a great thing about the character of Gwen, who's so beloved. I mean, people love Gwen. It's that You can find a lot of people who don't like a lot of the characters on this show, even the ones that are popular, but it's mm. hard to find people who don't like Gwen.
2: That is true. Oh, that's
1: true. <laughs> he shows up and he's the perfect friend. He believes you. He's there for you when you need him.
2: You don't need to tell him anything. You're just like, I have to do this thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's, like a gold,
0: he's like a golden retriever, right? <laughs> yes. You know, he's like, all right. <laughs>
1: that's the best description yeah was that what you were channeling you're like i'll just be a golden retriever
0: no i wish i had now but i remember i mean a we had a golden retriever um uh labrador cross and she was the best dog and she was super loyal super fun we're always up for fun stuff but i remember one day we used to have to if you're going to let her out through the house you had to open all the doors because she would just run into a door if it wasn't open and she just ran through the house. I remember one stage was like, "Oh my god, the front, the front glass door isn't open." And she literally ran and she just ran through the house. We're like she's coming through, and then she just ran, and then the glass door was closed, and she just ran through it. Oh and we were god. like, "And like," she, oh. and she bounced back first, and the glass smashed, and then she, and then she ran through it, like to make sure. And, and never gave up never gave up and then she was like super chill and like wanted to go for a walk and like the glass door smashed and she's got like blood in her thing and you're like and then you pet her and she's just very trusting and that was basically Gwen.
2: that
1: was <laughs> there you go yeah. that sums going up so well I mean it's kind of a bummer on Merlin I feel like there wasn't enough time maybe or maybe they didn't want to go into the lives of the Knights. I think that's like the biggest missed opportunity of the show, right? Sure. Like it's, these characters, people love Gawain. They love Sir Leon. These beloved characters that you don't really get to see, except they pop in, they say their thing and they leave. You know, it's it would have been interesting. What would you have liked to explore with your character? Because
0: I mean, I, I do agree with you. And I think that was one of the things that we kind of thought where we hoped would happen a bit more. I think season five, a bit more of a happened. I think season four, sometimes it got a bit lost. But I think also... They brought in a a, a couple of us as knights, and Tommy and myself, and Tom and and, and Rupert and Santiago, and and I think it was also a hard balance to get when you've got five knights. Plus, you have, you know, you've got Arthur and and Merlin, and you've got Morgana, and and you have Gwyneth and you have all these important characters also to develop through. So, yeah, I think two things. I think from a personal point of view, I would have preferred if they gave a bit more focus for the knights, but they did do that a lot more in season five. But at the same time, you know, serving the, the purposes of the story you didn't want to take away from what the fundamentals of the story was, you know? Yeah. So it's a hard balance. Yeah. You know?
1: people love this relationship between Arthur and Merlin so much that it's hard to take away from that. And there are, it's a huge cast. It's just such a big story.
0: I, I yeah. And I, I think if you spend too much time, cause I do agree with the, the, what you're saying about Gwen and Merlin, having this trust and, and the importance of their friendship. But I think that if you, if you emphasize that too much, it might've negated some of their Arthur and Merlin friendship and that also had to be balanced, Yeah, you know? So that's why I think then it became a little bit more of the knights at a certain stage. And I think that, well, you could go, oh, I wish to explore it. It's always nicer to wish that something was explored more than be like fed up with something and be like, oh, fuck, we're with these guys again. God, you know?
1: Right. That's true. Always leave them wanting more. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you got to do all this stuff as I'm gonna take. I'm going to take us out of Merlin for a minute because I got to ask you something personal. Uh, I love horses, but I also love motorcycles. And for anyone who hasn't seen Night Shift, you get to ride a motorcycle all the time. So I'm going to ask you to pick which skill you enjoy more. Like, do you like motorcycles? Is it something that you have in your personal life?
0: I mean, I, I learned how to ride a motorcycle on that show. Wow. Um. But, I, but I, well, that was the same with Merlin. They were like, "Can you ride a horse?" And I was like, "Yeah." Um. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the same on Nitin.
2: Like, could you really?
0: No. <laughs> no, I mean, I could afterwards, of course. I mean, I'd ri- I'd been
1: on a horse. <laughs> But,
2: well, that's, that's what I would say. Can you? Yes, yes of course I can. Yes.
1: I worked on this short film that was on a horse farm, but they tried so hard to cast actors who weren't lying because yes. every actor says they can ride a horse and play the guitar. But you know, come on.
0: I've, I've also said that, and and I cannot play the guitar, um, but terribly. Yeah, no, I mean no no no. I mean I could. I got some horse riding lessons, and I I could. I was fine on a horse, but I wasn't. I wasn't particularly adept, but I did learn how to ride a horse on Merlin, in a sense. We had this amazing horse guy, Dylan, and, uh, and he had these beautiful horses from up in Snowdonia that, that were stunt horses. I think Colin probably talked about it a lot. There's one horse in particular, Diablo, that had one eye that was always Colin's horse. So if you look at... Did you ever notice that Diablo had one I eye? I love that horse. Yeah, did you notice he only had one eye, though?
1: Yeah, but I love that horse.
2: Like, I'm obsessed with that horse.
0: He's the best horse. Well, he was the best horse.
2: Sonia tracks the horses... In every episode, she's like, That horse, that horse. That. He was riding a horse that now is different than that horse that he was riding a minute ago.
0: So, what well, that used to happen because sometimes we shoot horse riding scenes in France. So, we had different horses in France than the ones we shot on in Wales. And the ones in France were, were like totally mental and they, <laughs> they, were, they were nuts. French. Yeah, you yeah know? exactly. They were French and they were like, they were chaos. <laughs> and then the French stunt guys were great, but they were also chaos. And then in Wales, all the horses were like, a lot more chill, and you'd be on the. You when you're riding, well, was like this is great. Then you go to France, you're like, oh my god, I'm gonna die.
1: So they were magnificent. Okay, I love the horses on Merlin, and I understand production-wise why they were different and different. Bradley left on one horse and arrived on a different horse two seconds later. I get it. But some of those horses were so specific looking. Like there was this one horse that Morgana would ride. I don't know if you were ever around it that had like the mane and all the, like, uh-huh. it looked like a fairy tale horse. I was like, don't put anyone on that horse.
0: Yeah. No, I do remember. Yeah, you, you're you're not wrong. And, but I think also that there's just kind of no way around that. There's not. To an extent. There really isn't because we will go to France to film and a lot of kind of exterior stuff around the castle, we'd shoot in France. And then when we're doing sort of the treks and stuff, so we'd always like shooting, shooting stuff where you're leaving the castle or coming back, you're in France. And then when you're actually done the actual, you know, quest, you're in Wales. So it was just.
1: That's a great castle, though.
0: It is. It's like a fairy tale
1: castle. Yeah. It is. It looks like
0: it's made out of marzipan in real life. It's beautiful. Yeah.
1: You guys had the most ridiculous locations. They were all stunning. All the abbeys, all the castles you went to, they were just so beautiful.
0: This is true. Yeah.
1: You were always in this one forest with the steps.
0: Yeah, the Lord, the Lord of the Rings forest. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, it was that was Lord of the Rings
0: forest. That, that's the forest that I think Tolkien based a lot of a uh, Tolkien based a lot of Lord of the Rings on.
1: Is he really, Mila? You should have, you should have known that, Mila. Come on, I should have known that. Yeah. I love Lord of the Rings. You're the resident podcast Lord of the Rings person. What are you doing? I am. Um, I did not know that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's what was. So, that's why. I,
2: Amazing.
0: Yeah, it was, it was beautiful, but that's where he, he kind of got a lot of his inspiration for right. that from. Um, that no, that I mean that forest is beautiful.
1: Yeah, I can see why you used it constantly as a as a location. This show sounds, from what I've heard, from interviews and commentaries from the EPs like one of the most complicated shows I mean I heard you guys were shooting like six episodes at a time some days like I don't know how many units you had out was it was it like the hardest thing you've shot and the scale of how big it was
0: no it would have been the easiest thing that I shot personally because I think I I only realized having done a lot more television since and the scale of it. because at the time you know, it. I mean, it, it kind of depends how heavily you get involved as an actor sometimes because like, and, and having now directed stuff, it, it does change how you see things. So when I was first on Merlin, you know, you kind of, you kind of just did your, you did your thing and didn't really kind of consider sometimes how much was going on. You know, like, oh yeah, we're going to France next week. And it was like, yeah, so can you shoot Tuesday? Yeah, but I'll arrive on uh, Sunday. Like, then you can arrive on Monday. Yeah, or I'll just arrive on Sunday. <laughs> so you kind of just don't really then consider, like, oh, okay, there's a lot. There's a lot of moving parts. And they were constantly shooting second and third units all the time. It was so much happening because it was a big show. And they're doing 13 episodes. And each episode was like an yeah. hour long. But it was like a proper hour long. It wasn't like 42 minutes long. You know, it was like proper.
1: Yeah. The big difference between 42 and an hour. But I get what you mean, because I wonder, you've directed so much at this point you've produced, you've written. Has it changed your perspective when you're acting or do you not let that stuff in if you're just acting on a project?
0: No, it doesn't change anything when you're on set acting because it's it's actually, then just acting is just really enjoyable because you don't have to worry about the rest of it. It only changes it when you're not on set mm. in terms of when you're acting on a show and you're not involved in all the rest of it, you, you actually have downtime that is, is you know, I can write and do other things. So I usually get a lot of writing done when I'm working because a lot of that spare time you're working on your character and if and if you're kind of comfortable with the character is you spare time to do things yeah but when you're when you're directing or producing or something it's kind of 24 7 so you don't really have any kind of you know headspace to look at something else so it becomes far more um exhausting exhausting in a good way it's just an awful lot of more moving parts
1: yeah well i mean you've done so many projects i'm not actually sure how you do everything that you do because you have not only done so many different roles since Merlin but you've also just taken on production roles that are so different and I wonder if in movies that you've directed like Cold or Here are the Young Men does it help you when you're an actor to direct these super difficult scenes that were in these movies
0: yeah, it it really does. I think. I mean, cold, cold, which ended up having to be changed to leopard, um, for a very strange reason. But, mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah, I I think I really enjoy directing from an actor's point of view because I look at it from the point of view of how I'd like to be directed, and like cold, for example, because I wrote that for Tom, because me and Tom just wanted to do something together. Yeah was was incredibly enjoyable because I was just directing myself and Tom from a performance point of view. So it's a small little movie that's all very performance based, you know, it's all very contained and it was very much just about performances. So I think I think it helps also with, with trust because then you know, if you work to people before then they kind of, you know, you understand each other and you trust each other and you kind of know what makes people tick. And everyone's gotta do it. Like with, with Tom and and he will not mind me saying this, but with Tom, Tom will be fantastic on set as long as you feed him. <laughs> That would be I was mean. gonna say hangry, <laughs>
2: hangry person here.
0: Well, no, no, no. You've not seen Hangry until you've seen Tom Harper hangry. But if you if you feed Tom and he and he and he gets some chicken and coffee, Tom is like the easiest person in the world to work with and he's the most fun to work with, and I and I adore every part of that man and I worked with him was was wonderful. But if Tom doesn't get fed, then then he's an absolute nightmare. Right? And,
1: and <laughs> see now I want to know when you learn that. Oh, because
0: he told me, because we're going into shooting, we're shooting in Claire for cold. And one of his first things, he's like, look, you know, what's going to be the catering? And I was like, oh, no, we're going to work out some food. He goes, no, 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 no. he's like, look, and I was like, all right. And then we get there. And, and he was like, the first thing he wanted to know was like, how he's getting food, what time we're getting fed at, and like what he was eating. And, and then everything was fine, then, but then he'll shoot for 20 hours a day and have the most fun and do it. And, you know, do, I was like, Tom, will you go and do this scene in the lake for no reason? He's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> what time am I getting my chicken?
1: <laughs> I've always said that if I were a dog, I'd be food driven. Yeah. You know, like they separate dogs into toy driven and food driven. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Just feed me and I'll I'll be fine. Yeah. But at least he knew himself. Some people don't know that they're like that.
0: <laughs> no, it's so true. I'm the opposite. I don't really like to eat too much when I'm working, so it makes me sleepy. And I kind of like to sort of just not eat that much. And I just eat sugar and coffee when I'm
1: working, mm.
0: you know, and I just have these little intermittent highs and, and then it's fine. But Tom, you know, but it's that, that's, what you learn about be about people. Everyone has like different ways of working and and some people like want to rehearse and some people don't want to rehearse and some people want to kind of, you know, want to be given certain notes. And I just find then from acting to directing, I just talk to people the way I want to be talked to and you just keep everything nice and chill and the environment's fun. And then you just create a nice atmosphere and then it's, you know, that's the way it should be,
1: yeah, it's great. I can't believe how much you do because there are a lot of people who talk about doing projects and then they never get done, right, so where do you find all this drive? I mean, you do so much
0: well, well, so I just I just finished a movie, we just finished it before we came into Australia called Gray Elephant, um which I shot in the end of october um and that's a feature which is kind of like uh I guess a little bit like a cross between maybe sideways or or um. Perfect Stranger, which is a dinner party type movie or like or Polanski's Carnage, I guess. It's all in one location. And I wrote that because I wanted to work with a bunch of actors. I worked on The Night Shift before and I was like, how can I write something that we can all make? And then there was a, the pandemic and I was meant to try and do another movie and then nothing was being made. And I was like, what can I shoot that I can do in like three weeks all in one location? And then I wrote that. Wow. And then I was able to, but it was so much fun because it was like one of my best friends DP'd it and he's like had a bunch of movies in Sundance, a guy called Danny Katz. And then I got the A D who was on night shifts, well, both the first and second and third ADs who I've really good friends with and they came on, on and AD'd it. And uh and I was able to, like fly Jill over from New York and fly Brendan up from Albuquerque and Mac Brandt was in LA and all of a sudden we were, you know, we got this these cool financiers, producers to finance the movie, and then we're making this movie. And then I got to work with my composer who I grew up with who, like, lived in in Venice for like seven years and with the same editing team that I made here the young men with in Ireland. So I went home to Ireland and I got to do post-production with her. And was just like, this is great fun, you know? And then you work with people who you this like.
2: This sounds very really easy. I'm sure it's not. But it's, the way that you are talking, the way that you are explaining, you were like, well, this just came together easy. like
0: this. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it was it was a lot of work. And now we're only finishing that. It's still a lot of work. It was a huge amount of work, yeah. And I haven't written anything for the last five months because it kind of gets into your brain. But I just, it just, it's fun. You know, I think it should be fun. Yeah. You know?
1: Basically, if you want to work in this town, just be friends with Owen Mackin and he'll make a project. (laughs) No, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wish that was the case. Yeah. If you have, oh, if you have loads of money and want to, and have finance and can finance movies, then yes, be friends with Owen Mackin. That'd be fantastic. There you
1: go. To all the billionaires listening out there who want to fund movies for fun, uh, please reach out to Owen Mackin.
0: (laughs) Everyone who hasn't lost all their money in cryptocurrency today um, come and be friends. (laughs) Oh, is
1: that what happened today? I'm so glad I wasn't plugged into that. (laughs) How did you find it shooting during the pandemic? How how about the protocols?
0: That was fine. I mean, I did a couple of projects during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and and it was the most enjoyable one. Well, they're both enjoyable, but I worked on a, a film for Millennium with Megan Fox in Bulgaria. Bizarrely enough for this Australian director who now lives in Melbourne and I'm in Melbourne, so we've been hanging out. And... Everything was so locked down and then they were one of the first movies to go and suddenly I was in Bulgaria. So I was like, and they were like, do you want to come to Bulgaria early? And then you can kind of hang out and prep for a couple of weeks. And I was like, you mean basically have a holiday? <laughs> They're like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll come and prep. Uh, but it was great because Bulgaria was one of the few countries in, in August that wasn't totally locked down at the time. So I was able to explore Bulgaria. That's amazing. It was amazing. And then I got to shoot this really fun movie. And, and on set, it was fine. It's just everyone, as long as everyone's careful and follows the rules And you get tested and everyone's like, you know, not an asshole between shooting and going off to nightclubs and wears masks. It's it's pretty easy. Just be responsible, you know?
2: Yeah,
1: there is so much trust on set now with the pandemic. It's just like, don't do stuff outside of work that is going to endanger everyone. But also I've said the whole time, like the only place I want to go during the pandemic is a set. Because I feel like that's the safe place.
0: <laughs> it's the safest place. It's the safest place because everyone's getting tested and you're like... Everyone gets tested all the time. It's insane. And it's so clean. And you're like, I will just live here now. They're like, do you want to go home? Like, yeah. Just gonna, I was going to sleep on set. you
1: I've, I've been working from home the whole time, but I was like, if you want me to go anywhere, it's going to be a set. I'm not coming into the office, but I'll go to any set you want. <laughs> like, that's it's... Set. They're upset.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: It's it must be so great though to feel safe and still be able to create during all this craziness.
0: Well, I mean it, it's definitely more expensive mm-hmm. for like for obviously as you know for producers. I think like the, I think they it might be between 12 and 19% more expensive I guess in terms of an overall thing. So that's that's kind of killing a lot of the kind of smaller indie movies I think. Um yeah. So that's a problem. But at the same time if you can manage to get it off the ground then then yeah, it's, 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 you just have to, but you do have to be specific. Obviously, Grey Elephant, we were all in one house. Mm. So you are all in one location. So you're able to kind of, that you're able to mitigate a lot of the kind of external factors. If you're on the street and you got crowd, it just becomes a different thing. So depends on the type of project.
1: Yeah, because now at this point you've done all the huge studio stuff and indies. And what, is there something you like about both? Is there something that you cherish about doing a big, huge studio project and doing an indie?
0: Yeah, because in a big, huge studio project, they they give you really great coffee all the time and you're just like, (laughs) you're just pampered and it's like fantastic. Perks. Yeah, it's it's like being on holiday. It's amazing. You know, it's great. You know, I remember doing Resident Evil in South Africa and like, everyone's super nice, had the nicest time. And then like, you know, you get pampered and it's great and it's like oh kickback yeah it's like oh no i have to work for 10 hours a night it's fantastically fun and <laughs> and, and then on an indie shoot it it, it can be far more organic because you can usually um you know you're by the seat of your pants a bit more and, and i do have more time to explore scenes with characters or you don't have any time and it becomes really liberating because you just have to kind of just make stuff and go for it so it's a different experience you know
1: Yeah, I do think there's a certain creativity on like a smaller non studio project, like non union stuff, even where it's just like you can, you have to take on more roles because things have to get figured out. And it's much more sanitized at a studio. Like you just, everyone has their job and they do their job and just show up and do that and then leave.
2: You just have to, with smaller projects, you just have to problem solve. Yeah. Problem solve on the spot right there really fast.
0: Well, that's the thing. If you can get the balance between between having that kind of organic indie kind of nature, but then obviously when you're on a bigger project is also is is you can do a lot more and you can be far more specific and and obviously you can do a lot more things. So it is about, you know, I don't think one one is better than the other. It just depends on, if you can do both, that'd be great, <laughs> right? But that but that's why I wanted to be a Grey Elephant because then you can make smaller indie films with your friends that you care about and then, you know.
1: I feel like there's something so special about that. Like, yeah, you don't have as much, but it's nice to create with people that you like creating with and keeping it small. There's something yes. special about it. But you know, it's it's nice to have all the stuff. It's nice to need something and <laughs> it's there. You're like, you know, the big stuff where you're just like, I need that and production's like, got it. <laughs> just like, yeah.
0: Uh, I, I remember I was directing an episode of Night Shift and when we were doing the prep the producers and, and, and everyone come up to me and we're in the middle of doing prep. And they're like, so with this scene, like, they're like, do, do you want a crane? I was like, what? I was like, can I have a thing? They're like, 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 yeah. Would you like a 30 foot crane or 50 foot crane? I was like, I'll obviously have the fucking biggest crane. you have. And I was like,
1: <laughs> is there a bigger crane? <laughs> yeah.
0: I was like, I would have everything. They're like, would you like, I was like, I'll have everything. Like, do you need it? I don't care. I will like, give me everything. And then we'll just, you know, because on an indie film, figure we're like,
1: it out if we need yeah. it or not. I'll find a way to use this. Hundred percent
0: on an indie film, we're like, do we have a dolly? I don't know. And then, on, then on the next, like, would you like a crane? You're like, that is the most of course, yes. Give me all
2: of the. Cranes. Yeah. Yes, the answer is always yes. yes. Do you? Yes. 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 Do we need a crane? Well, I no. think. Yeah. I don't know. I don't
1: care. Yeah. Need.
0: Exactly. Me, exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, please! In our last podcast we released, I was just going on and on about how much I love cherry pickers. A faux crane. Who doesn't love being on a farm filming a movie? Like, you've got all this equipment sitting around. You're like, we'll just make it work.
0: Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you'll take the crane. <laughs> 100%. You take a crane and check your cherry picker as often as possible. Yes.
1: So to wrap this up, what are you doing now? What, what are you up to?
0: I'm in Australia and I'm doing a show. Lucky. And you made that sound so, so, so gentle and dulcet. You're like, what are you doing now? And I was like, I, I think I'm in a spa right now talking to you
1: guys. <laughs> I put on my ASMR voice right here. You could just do this on a podcast. You it's see,
0: so good. You do audiobooks.
2: Nice, just sounds calmer.
1: Yeah,
0: I think this is why I enjoyed listening to you guys doing your podcast. It was very relaxing.
2: Yeah,
1: I'm glad. <laughs> my <laughs> intro always sounds like that. It's. A... <laughs> I'm glad. It's I don't. It's yeah. I edit out uh, us laughing for an hour. We just laugh constantly on this podcast. If people can't tell, uh, you're not right
2: because it's like it would be it's like a half hour longer before i edit it we go on tangents very often
0: i feel like that's what every good podcast is is basically one extended tangent right
1: yeah the important tangents stay in right the me packing for a trip tangent cut, cut from the last one like the episode where merlin was packing for the quest and arthur wouldn't tell him where he was going and i went on a tangent
2: how do you pack what are you going to need? Are you, is it going to be cold? Is it going to be hot? Like, well, I was complaining about my
1: ex-boyfriend who was taking me to a wedding and wouldn't tell me what time the wedding was. So I couldn't pick a dress. That's what I like. That got cut. Who needs that? Nobody.
0: Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, maybe your ex-boyfriend needed to hear that. I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah. Maybe he's-
1: <laughs> Should tell your girlfriend what time the wedding is. <laughs>
0: yeah, tell your girlfriend what time the wedding is and what to wear. I mean, that is rule number one. You know, if you're trying to go on a date with someone's like, just meet me here. What do I wear? Well, that's fine. Eh, it's not fine.
2: No, it's not fine. <laughs> Be specific, please. Yes.
1: This tangent is staying in the podcast. <laughs> I
0: have meant that, I've learned that to my detriment. I'm like, yeah, okay. Um we were asked, so I'm in Australia doing a, a show for NBC called The Brea. And then I'm sort of in the middle of we're still Slowly releasing here, The Young Men, which we're hopefully going to do some cinema in Australia. Hopefully cinemas in Ireland open up sometime the next. Good Lord knows. um, Because then we're going to do some cinema. But at the moment it's been released in, in America and Ireland and the UK. And then we're sort of rolling out the rest of the release. So.
1: Yeah, I rented it on uh, Amazon. Oh, did you? Yeah.
0: Oh, did you watch it?
1: It was great. Yeah, oh. of course I did.
0: That way it's very different to Merlin. It's not the same ball.
1: Very dark. I watched Leopard and uh, and here are the young men and i was like oh that was i wasn't expecting to go dark (laughs) because i was like used to gwayne (laughs) like hey i'm here to party and then i was like oh oh okay we're down here yeah leopard definitely made me cry oh good so good job that's a compliment that's good yeah yeah those final scenes really got me and i felt like you got that that 90s sensibility on the serious side on here are the young men a little bit like i just felt like i don't know how to describe it Transported to a little different world. I loved the breaks in reality, mm. and I also just loved how much you'd grown as a director. Like that was a big, a lot bigger movie. Like I just watched Leopard, which was like very contained, and it, like you said, performance, and here in this one room, and then that was so big, and a lot of the shots were so beautiful. I definitely read an interview with you where you said you think about images, and I'm a photographer, so I'm just like, yes, sure. just like you want the, the image to stick every sure. still
0: yeah no i, I will thank you and um, thank you for watching thank you for both watching i appreciate it and i'm glad you i'm glad you liked it gray elephant is, is is a lot more uh grain type in terms of a lot more fun there's a lot more kind of fun and satire in gray elephant Um, i don't know i did this short called the green rabbit and the ice cream girl uh i don't know if you've seen that it's on my list it's a lot weirder so that's more weirder type stuff but with, here the man and leopard they're both leopard or cold was something that myself and Tom wanted, I wanted to write for Tom that was a bit more serious because we've been doing Merlin for like the year and a half. We wanted to do something that was a bit more serious that we kind of just explore the two of us as actors together. And that's sort of why, and then it, I don't know. I just ended up writing some weird dark stuff. And Tom was like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's fine. It's like, you know, you're just going to, you're just going to touch, you know, your mom's breast in a strip club and, and, and just, you know, and you're also like mental and it's totally fine. Don't worry about it.
1: So good. That scene broke my heart though. Like you, that you wrote that that scene broke my heart so much. Yeah. But yeah, let's take a break from you guys running around a cave shirtless. Come on.
0: Yeah, I was like, let's, let's explore the Oedipus complex and some weird relationship with these two brothers, despite the fact your characters also murdered somebody. But let's ignore that because we feel sorry for <laughs> you. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love that you said, like, let's just ignore that, because, like, you guys just peaced out. And I was like, oh, okay,
2: we're moving on. Before you came on, we talked about exactly that part. We're like, wait, wait a second, what? I'm like, did they get
1: away with murder? Is that what happened in this? Yeah, you can not
0: tell me that, of course. And you don't even think about it. Well, that's the idea that you don't think about it. But the fact is, yeah, he, like, he like, murdered his fucking girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like, when you think about it, right? But, I mean, it's... And then he's like, he's, like, seeing dead people. But it was fun. Uh, but here are the men I wanted to... Again, that, see that's a very dark book, and actually the reason with the imagery is so James Mayth is a DP, and it was like right if we if we shoot this in a dark way, it's going to become a really heavy film because it's already really heavy. But I wanted it to be fun by having like you know Joy Division and the Chemical Brothers and Slow Dive. It's all music that I listened to and, and mm-hmm. you know grew up with the first concerts I went to, and then I wanted to have the imagery to be as vibrant and poppy as possible on purpose but also cuz it you know gave it a lush feeling and i wanted everything you know so you can just you know, everything should be a, f- a frame for me should be as f- photographic as possible and then you kind of work from there and allow it to expand outwards and i think because the subject matter was so dark so i wanted to explore you know the end of the movie the whole moral dilemma that the main character focuses on was really the fundamental part of the movie was kind of getting to that fundamental question of what you do if your best friend does this or not even best movie if your friend does that so it's very much a kind of a movie that's it's not a coming of age movie at all in my head it's actually far more about the examination of the possible evolution of a sociopath but also about what you do when you're faced with somebody who is of this and i think that's really important especially now when you're like you look at politics or right, we won't go into any that type of stuff but it's like making people responsible for their choices and then holding them and also then make your own. Now, it's also questionable and debatable how you feel about the lead character and the man or whether or not he made the right choices. And the idea being that his choice that he makes also leads him down, you know, a similarly mm-hmm. bad path. But that was what I wanted to explore with that without preaching about it, but kind of exploring that.
1: But then be like, but here's Joy Division. Well, it was very non-judgmental. It was like framed in this view and that's that's also why i loved it like i said earlier it, it had this look about it that didn't have to be so gritty like you weren't i guess like chris nolan pounding my head into the ground of like this is gritty mm. feel gritty about it and i was like stop but the story is dark so that it's so poppy really lets you get through it by concentrating on what's happening in the story instead mm. of having to just like be so pulled in and so depressed the whole time i i agree it's not a coming of age story i, I did find a lot of fascination with like watching someone devolve into this sociopathic person and like what do you do when you're around that person Mm. and you're right it's so it's so timely because I won't get into politics either but let's just say like day-to-day people that I've had to disconnect from who make really irresponsible choices nowadays uh, because it affects others sure it was so fascinating and uh and beautifully shot so thank you
0: no, well, thank you, well, thank you, but yeah, that's that that is part of the issue, <laughs> not the issue. But then when they're trying to market it, like, so we're gonna m- market this coming of age maybe, and I'm like, well, all right.
2: <laughs> I mean, we'll see how that goes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> there's so many times I see a movie. I saw um, Promising Young Woman this year, and I was mm-hmm. like, that wasn't the trailer. I was I showed up for one movie. I loved the movie I saw, but I was like, I did not show up ready for this movie. because you marketed yeah. like a fun, like, oh, she's gonna get people, and I was like, that's not what this was, but. Mm-hmm. I would have been happy to show up for that movie as well. I just didn't know what I was getting into.
0: No, I know. It's, it's interesting, right? Uh, but but at the same time, yeah, it, uh, yeah, Promising Woman definitely threw me for sex as well. Um, uh, She's amazing. <laughs> but yeah. But, you know, but I also kind of like that, to be honest, at the same time, because I like not knowing I you know what a movie is. Sometimes I find you see a trailer and you know too much about it, and then you already know what the movie is. So.
2: Well, I was just going to say that I usually don't see trailers at all because they either... Some trailers just tell you what the entire movie is. I'm like, well, now I don't need to see this movie anymore because I already know everything that happens.
1: Yeah, Merlin was super yeah. guilty of that. The next week on Merlin Clips were <laughs> horrifying. Every week <laughs> yeah, I had yeah. to scream at the end of the podcast being like, I can't believe they showed you that Lancelot is back. Like, how are you supposed to be surprised about what happens right. next week?
0: That's so, I mean yeah.
1: Like, way to ruin the reveal.
0: Yeah, they should just not do shoot Next week on Merlin, we have another episode and then that's it. <laughs>
1: i mean like vague scenes but with like the the reveals they put on some of those but by season four or five the show got so much better they got it they were like we'll just do glimpses and a mood Mm. we don't have to like tell them like lancelot's coming back next week like just just hush like don't don't give the game away but i'm with you mila don't get me wrong i love spoilers but i'm of two minds i either want to know nothing about a movie or everything before i see it
2: like there's only two. i
0: don't know i I feel that i feel that sonya's backtracking a little bit here it's like you know well
2: i know i do too i do too no i don't accept that answer
0: no no i don't i don't know
1: And I used to get taken to screenings, and and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to see, and it was fun to go see something that I didn't even know the title of. I was like, I'm just gonna go see this, and it's fine. But that doesn't mean that I want to watch British Bake Off and not know who wins at the end.
0: Okay. This is this, this is the worst argument ever for like turning like you know you flip you flip sides entirely and then brought it to British Bake
2: Off. Thank you,
0: I mean, I'm so sorry for this.
1: I'm. This is how it started, Owen. Look, you weren't
0: here. This but... is what
2: I'm dealing with. You understand?
0: I, I feel I feel your pain. Yeah.
1: It all began cuz I spoiled Bake Off for myself and Mila doesn't understand how I could watch a show when I know who's going to win.
2: I'm like you're watching a competition show. I don't want to know who wins at the end That that it just yeah. I can't watch the show anymore because I already know what's going to happen. I can't root for anyone.
0: The British Bake Off a competition.
2: But, you know? Yeah, I agree.
0: With you. There's no point there's no point knowing you won a competition and you're not going to watch it, you know? It literally makes it, like it's like watching football highlights. I don't really want to know what the score is before I watch the football I highlights. Yeah, because I'm like, well...
2: Right, right. Yeah,
1: I don't watch. I'm not insane. No, but if you already know that Brazil
0: lost 7-1 to Germany, you know, you don't want to watch it again unless you're not Brazilian. And then you. And you
2: no,
1: I'm not going to watch it.
2: Would I watch the entire game, like, the next day? No. No, unless you're, not,
0: unless you're not Brazilian, you want to revel in Brazil losing 7-1 over and over again. But I, mean, I don't know who'd do that.
2: Look... We we say that we say, we have that as a saying, like in Brazil, like every day is a is a different seven to one because in in our real life, like when anything goes wrong in your life, you're like, well, seven one here for us. That's good. If we're never gonna forget. No, it's for you. We're never gonna forget. I
1: think you brought that into
0: like the social
1: lexicon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we did. <laughs> you, like you're gonna carry that for generations. There's gonna be kids traumatized by this.
0: <laughs> Probably, yeah.
1: I can pick and choose when I spoil myself. And if it's a TV show that I have to sit through for five seasons, it's getting spoiled. It's, and I'm not, I don't have that kind of patience. And my brain works in overdrive trying to figure out what the hell is going to happen. So I would rather know. See, my argument's that I enjoy the ride more when I'm just like, I know what's going to happen
2: here. It's all good. That,
0: that, that's fair. That's fair. It's. I mean,
2: we respect you, but we don't You agree. don't have to agree. Yes. There you go. I like I
0: like that. That's a good catchphrase.
1: Spoiler arguments aside, we've spoiled Merlin for everyone who didn't listen to us in the beginning. So, but if you haven't seen Merlin yet, it was 10 years ago. I mean, five, four. It was yesterday. Yeah, four. We decided we just four, finished it. four years ago. Yeah. We just finished filming yesterday.
0: <laughs>
1: All I have left to say is thank you for joining us, Owen, and going down this crazy ride with us. It's
0: been a pleasure.
2: Thank you so much for accepting the invitation, listening to our podcast for a little bit, listening to us rant about different things.
0: Well, thank you for having me, and I, I hope that you put the the, the packing um a part of the previous one you deleted as an addendum oh. onto this episode.
1: I'm going to just go fish that out and put it on <laughs> the internet as, like, this is important information <laughs> for men to know. Like, never let your girlfriend pack for a wedding without telling her what time the wedding is.
0: I agree. I, I also agree.
1: We couldn't leave on a better note than that, so thanks for listening, everyone.
0: It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: Bye.